The book of Mark chronicles the last three years of Jesus here on earth. They were pretty intense years, to say the least. Since meeting John the Baptist, he was faced with temptations in the desert, performed miracles, healed people, gained followers, was transfigured and died a criminal's death, only to be raised from the dead. Why should all this matter to you and me? Join us for the last three. Happy groundbreaking Sunday. You get to be part of this historic moment in the life of our church. What, a, what an unbelievable Sunday. But as I pray for the work that will begin next door on the field, I am praying that the Spirit of God would also break ground in your heart during this season. That the Spirit of God would penetrate the soil of your heart and, and He would do His work in your life as well. That is my hope. That's my hope for today. That's my hope for this season. And the same way that God has brought us this far, He will continue to lead us. The same way that He has brought you in here, He will move in you as you leave this space as well. Okay, that's my wish for you. Uh, we are story-formed people. Stories shape us. They're part of who we are as humans. You have been shaped by many stories in your life. There are some major narratives and, and some minor narratives that have shaped you, and you have become who you are today. Some of you have been shaped by very positive stories. If you're father or your mother was uh, an immigrant and have come to this country and have worked really hard, you probably heard growing up, hey, we don't take things for granted. We work, we seize opportunities. And maybe that's who you are today because you have allowed that story and that narrative to shape you. I have a friend that today he's okay, but he grew up in a family that cast upon him a negative, negative story. All the males in our family never amounted to anything or anyone, and that's going to be you as well. And for many years, he lived with that narrative in his head. I was born a failure, and I will die a failure until he came to faith in Jesus, and he found in the gospel a better story to shape who he was. And he is a man of God today, I can say that. Cross Bridge. Our church, that's 13 years old, has been shaped by a story. May you, you may be visiting us for the first time or you've been coming here for a few months. By the way, is the mic has interference? Okay. All right. Uh, and, and you don't know this about us, but Across Bridge is a family of churches here in Miami. There are five campuses in Miami. We have other churches that are part of our family internationally as well. And it all started 13 years ago as a replant as a church that was struggling to survive, that was replanted, brought new life, and that new life has spread out through the city and beyond. And that story has shaped us as a people because we are the people of the rebirth. That's what Crossbridge is, the people of the rebirth. And whenever they tell the stories about Crossbridge, you can Google online. People tell stories about Crossbridge. It's the story of rebirth, of new beginnings, of new opportunities. And that story has shaped us. And what we are going to experience today is a fruit of that rebirth. It's a fruit of that new beginning that took place 13 years ago. Some of you were here in the very first day. It doesn't matter if you joined last month or two years ago or five years, you're part of our story, and that story is shaping who you are and we as a church today. 
And it's because we are story-shaped people, because stories form us, that Jesus, when he taught, he proclaimed the kingdom of God, he told stories. The stories that Jesus told were very short stories. They were known as parables. And these stories are meant to be both descriptive of what the kingdom of God is, the kingdom that he has come to bring and establish among us, but also that these stories would be formative to us as a people. And so today we're going to go back to Mark chapter 4. Let me tell you this. um, Last week, we looked at Mark chapter 4, okay? And I thought, we cannot leave this chapter. (laughs) We cannot move on, especially because of the day that is today. And so uh, Pastor Carter preached on the same passage last week that I will preach today, but that's okay. We can preach on this passage a whole year, and it will still be fresh every time it is open and applied to our lives. Amen? So God has a fresh word for you in a passage that you already looked at last Sunday. At the very least, it will be imprinted in your heart, and I hope that this passage will continue to shape you. Okay? So we find ourselves in uh, Mark chapter 4. We are going to read verses 30 and 34. This is one of the short stories that Jesus told us about his kingdom that is both descriptive and formative for us. It's a very famous story. It's a story of the mustard seed. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explains, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. In this story that Jesus shares, he shares and gives us a picture of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is depicted as a tree. And, you know, last week, the, the, uh, the Pastor Carter, he applied this passage in a broad way of what the kingdom of God ought to look like, its manifestation among us. But today I want to be very specific because whatever the kingdom is, we shall be as well. However the kingdom functions, so should our lives function as well. And therefore, the main question that we are asking this morning is, if this is the picture of the kingdom that Jesus gives us, of the tree, uh, what should our lives be like? How should we live our lives? What kind of lives shall we as a people live? Three things. We should live like trees, and therefore, we should dream big. I'll tell you the connection. We should start small, number two. And then thirdly, we should trust the process. Dream big, start small, trust the process. As I said, there is a big vision of the kingdom in this passage, not just because it is of a large tree that Jesus describes the kingdom as. The kingdom of God is like a grain that turns into 
a big tree. But because this tree that Jesus is describing has biblical significance, if you're familiar with the scriptures and if you're familiar with Old Testament literature, in the book of Ezekiel and in the book of Daniel chapter 4, there is a large tree that theologians call the Axis Mundi. It's a tree that connects heaven to earth. It's a tree that comes up in a vision where all the nations of the earth and all the animals of the earth come under its shade and feed of its fruit. It is a foretaste and it is a picture of the kingdom that Jesus would come to establish. A tree that served many, that served people of all races, that served people of all classes and of all generations. And that's exactly the type of life that we must live. As we go back to answering that question, what does it mean for our lives to look like this tree? Think about it. A tree does not exist for itself. A tree is just there, planted with its branches stretched out. As Jesus says here, where the birds of the air come and and make their nests, it produces fruit for all those who come to it. A tree does not exist for itself. A tree exists for others. A tree exists to nourish the lives of others, to offer food and to offer protection. And I know that this is a faithful application of this passage for our lives because in the scriptures that application is made as well. So in Psalm chapter 1, the life of the blessed man or woman is described like a tree planted by living waters. And Jesus, in John chapter 15, as he is speaking to his disciples, moments before his death, he compares himself to a vine, which we are the branches connected to him. And if Jesus is a vine, and he represents himself as a tree, and if in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, the life of a blessed man or woman is depicted like a tree, we should all live as trees as well. And when we live as trees, that's what it means to dream big. Let me tell you the difference of a small dream and a big dream. If I ask you, what's the dream that you have for your life? Some of you may say, I have a big dream for my life. But if your dream only consists of you or very few people, maybe your family, regardless of the vision of grandiosity that you may have, it's still a small dream. Because a big dream is a dream that involves Others. And in fact, I, I like to say this, that uh, the more people, the bigger the dream. See, Jesus is inviting his people, those who have found their place inside his kingdom, dream as he has dreamt, a big dream that involves the redemption and the salvation of others as well. So long as your dream only involves yourself, it is a small dream. And I believe that this story comes to break new ground in our lives and in our hearts and saying, hey, maybe you've been dreaming too small. Maybe you start dreaming a little bigger. From the very beginning here at Crossbridge, we had a big dream. I don't know if you heard this before, but from the very first days when we were in a group of 22 people, asking the question, what type of church Crossbridge should be in the city? One of the first things that came out of those meetings is, we don't want to be a church about ourselves. 
We don't want to be a great church as much as we want our city to become a better and a greater city because of our presence in the city from the very beginning. And so the five churches, the eight congregations, all the uh, the, the ministry partnerships that we have in the city to meet the needs of those who are disadvantaged, it has all come out of this big vision to impact as many lives as possible in the name of Jesus. To extend our branches wide as our roots grow deep so that many can find shelter in our branches and under our shade and be fed and be nourished. That's why here at Crossbridge we say you can belong even before you believe. So what happened on Friday night is an example of that. We want people to find refuge in our midst, to grow healthier, to flourish as human beings. And this building is part of that vision as well. Why are we building this building? Not just to have a better building, a newer building, a high-tech building, which we will have, (laughs) but it's so that more will come, so that more will find shelter among us, so that more will be nourished. It is a dream not for ourselves, but for the future generations, for our children and our children's children as a landmark of the faithfulness of God at this corner of town. So, What are you dreaming about? Is it a big dream? Does it involve others? Or is it a small dream? It only involves yourself. Let's join and let's dream big. Because this is the type of people that Jesus has called us to be. Dreamers. But we ought to start small. We ought to dream big. But we ought to start small. If you remember here in this story that Jesus tells us. There is a big contrast, and it's here intentionally, edited by John Mark. What is the contrast? Go back to verse 31. The kingdom is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all of the seeds on the earth. Underline smallest. But um, yet, when it is sown... Verse 32, it grows up and becomes the larger than all of the garden plants and puts out large branches. So here's the contrast. The smallest of seed becomes the largest of trees. Smallest of seed becomes the largest of seed. What Jesus is communicating to his disciples as they have found their place in his kingdom, is that the smaller you go, the larger things grow. Now, this is a contrast even for us because we live in a culture that values big. Start big. Let's do big things. And Jesus says that that in the dynamics of the kingdom, the growth dynamics of the kingdom, things start small. Big things have humble and small beginnings. That's the dynamics of his kingdom. That whatever is 
up is down. Whatever is down is up. And so you continue to read in the gospel accounts of Jesus' teachings. You go to the Sermon on the Mount, for instance. Then you go to John chapter 12, and you, and you hear things like those who want to be first must be last, and those who are last will be first, and those uh, who want to rule must be the servant of all. And the ones who will inherit and own the kingdom of God are those who acknowledge that they are poor and that they are bankrupt. And that the way to fill up is to empty yourself. And the way to impact the lives of others is not by taking power, but by giving away power. Those are the dynamics of the kingdom. Whatever is down is up. And it's so countercultural because that's not how our culture functions. I, I remember when I was in seminary, I was taking homiletics class. Homiletics class is preaching class. And uh, we had a lab in that class where uh, each of us preached um, every class that they had. You know, two of, uh, one of us would, would preach and then we would be critiqued by the class. And um, I remember one of, one of our friends, uh, you know, he preached, he was critiqued, it was a good critique, it was a good sermon, and then he shared with us an experience that he had had over the weekend. He said that he went to preach at this church as a seminary student, and he said that when he got there, he was very confident that it was going to be a very powerful sermon. Because he'd studied the Greek and he studied the Hebrew and he'd he read the commentaries and he read the philosophy and the theology books. And so he said that as he went up to the pulpit, he went with his head high. And he said that as he preached, it became clear to him that that was not going to be a successful sermon. He couldn't remember what he had studied. His mind was cloudy. And he said certain things which he told us deeply offended the people in the congregation. And he said he was so defeated that when he went down from the pulpit, he was hanging his head. And there was a wise lady that was sitting through that sermon that after the service came to him and said, son, let me tell you something. She said, had you gone up as you have come down, you would have come down as you had gone up. That's the dynamics of the kingdom. If God is going to do anything big or great in our lives, it's going to have to start small. Because that's the dynamics of the kingdom. That's how the kingdom works. It's power. It's made true, not in strength, but in weakness. So I uh, was thinking about this. This has been in my head in the last several weeks. And what is, I was asking the question, what does it mean to start small? And I came up with this acronym. It's a silly acronym. I never use acronyms. You know, you know me. If you've come to Crossbridge, I don't use silly acronyms. But I thought, hey, here's a, a little acronym to stay with us as we leave this place. And as God gives us opportunities to start or restart things in the big vision that involves many, what does it mean to start small? Here's the acronym. You ready? First, S, 
steady. Consistency. You know, Jesus had a very consistent ministry. When you read the gospel accounts, Jesus is always doing one of three things, and he does them over and over again. He is either proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, or he is healing somebody, or he is casting out some demons. And he does that over and over and over again. Healthy, important habits, such as spiritual disciplines, ought to be present in our lives. We must be steady. We must be consistent. That's what it means to start small. M, meek, humility. You know, many times when we are starting something, we assume that we know. Uh, I'm a coach to church planters, and I see people move into Miami all the time wanting to start churches in various neighborhoods. And it's amazing how they have all the answers. It's amazing how they have this vision of a large church within a year or two. And after that first hard year, they come back and they say, yeah, man, I thought it was, it's, I mean, it's harder than I thought. I was like, yeah, there you go. <laughs> no kidding, no joke. If God is going to do anything great in our lives, we must have a posture of humility. We must be teachable. We must be open to correction. We must depend on God. Part of what it means to be meek and humble is to allow yourself to acknowledge that if God is going to do any work, it's going to be him doing the work through you. And it means taking a posture of humility. A, available. Are we available to that which God wants to do in our lives? The problem is many times we are busy bodies. We're trying to figure out ways and solution. And I'm not talking about the fact that we ought to live lives of passivity, but we must be available to whatever God wants to do. Sometimes God interrupts our day. Sometimes God interrupts our schedule. Sometimes God asks us to throw away our plans and we start over with him. Are you available to what he wants to do? Are you available to the people that you are leading with. Starting small means being available. Starting small also means being loving, of uh, having the right motivation before starting anything, which is to care and to see lives being transformed, to meet the needs of others. When Jesus came, Jesus came out of love because God so loved the world, he sent his only son. Is our motivation love? And then lastly, starting small means being loyal. Loyal to the call, loyal to your God, and loyal to the people around you. You know, uh, today we get to experience something great. It is a new start, a new beginning. It's a vision that we hope one day, very soon, within 14 months, although we have to, you know, count that sometimes constructions take a little longer. But it it will materialize. But I think that this is now the season where we come to God, and as the shovel hits the ground, we say to God, God, I want to start small as well. You know, we're going to go out into that field, and in that field, you will not see a building. There will be a pile of dirt. You'll be like, what? What is this? And may that be a picture of our lives as well, because it doesn't matter if we have 
a new and a large building if it's empty of people, if it's not a place where ministry is happening, if lives are not being transformed, if we're not deploying the gifts and the resources that God has put in our lives for the sake of others. It doesn't matter. And so as we begin this new journey, my challenge to you is that you would say to yourself, hey, God, I, as that building starts, I want to start too. As you prepare the foundations of that building, as the walls go up, may, may that be a picture of my heart and of my life. May it be a parallel work, the physical and the spiritual in and among us. And it will be a process that we must trust. Number three, if we are going to be people of the kingdom, if this vision is a vision for us, we are also called to trust the process. The question in the story is, how does a small seed become a big tree? How does the smallest of seed become the largest tree through this process? That involves two things. Number one, it involves being planted. What is the seed's job? Nothing. To be planted, to be rooted. The seed, in order for it to flourish and it to grow, it depends on the external elements. And if we want to see God at work in our lives, if we want uh, this big dream to be materialized as we start small, we must be rooted and planted, refuse being busy bodies and, 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 and anxious and nervous. We must trust that God is exposing us to the right elements and that he is providing us the right nutrients for us to grow. We must many times in our lives learn what it means to sit on the dream. You know, when we dream, sometimes we want it to come into reality really fast. But God says, sometimes you just got to sit on the dream and let me work the process out. Many times in my life, I wanted things to happen yesterday. And God has taught me through the years, hey, here's a dream I'm giving you. I want you to sit on this dream. From day one of Crossbridge, we had this dream of becoming a multi-congregational church, of becoming a family of churches. We didn't know how we were going to go about it. And God put the right people in the right conversations in place. Someone heard our story in Miami Springs and said, hey, this church in Miami Springs needs to go through the same process. And they would call us and say, hey, listen, what you guys went through, we probably want to go through. Can you coach us? And then it was just like, hey, why don't you take the church and, and replant the church? In fact, Miami Springs today is celebrating its eight-year anniversary. It's a flourishing church. And that happened in Key Biscayne, and that happened in Homestead recently. You know, I like to get things done, but God said, hey, you got to sit on the dream. And you may have a big dream. Your dream may be categorized as a big dream because it involves a lot of people, and you want to see things done right away, and God is saying to you right now, I want you to sit on the dream. I want you to depend on me. I'm going to expose you to the right elements. I'm going to bring in the right nutrients. I'm going to give you the opportunities. Don't force anything. I will open the doors. I will qualify you. Whenever time comes, just be planted. Just be rooted. But here's the second thing about this process. It's that backwards process. 
Because the kingdom is upside down, right? It's a backwards process. In our way of seeing things, death follows life. We are called to live a full life, enjoy the most we can, and then every good thing comes to an end, and then there's death. But Jesus is saying the dynamics of the kingdom is different. It's not life, then death. It's death, then life. In order for a resurrection to happen and take place, death needs to happen and take place. And therefore this parable, this story, as we hear it, it begins to shape us because it reminds us of the dynamics of the kingdom, that life Always, new life starts with death. A seed must die. Jesus, in John chapter 12, verse 24, as he's preparing uh, to go to the cross, he is beginning to talk about his hour with his disciples. And there's a very famous verse there that has shaped me through the years in the vision that has materialized through uh, the life of Crossbridge, which is, unless, Jesus says, unless a seed, unless... A seed falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, if the seed dies, it produces much fruit. Jesus, in this parable, he places himself as the seed. He is the seed that was promised to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. He is the seed that was promised to Abraham and Genesis 12 through 15. But that seed, in order for it to be as numerous as the stars in the sky, it had to die. And the reason why we are now included into the family of God is because the seed of God in Jesus Christ was put into the ground and died so that we could have new life. And that must be the dynamics for our lives as well. Now, I know that starting small is hard. Themes like, Humility and dependence on God. Themes of death. Death to self. Death to our illusions. Death to sin, which is like a cat with nine lives that never dies. It's hard. It's hard. But there's a resource available to us, which is found in this pattern of the kingdom, which is the good news of the gospel. That because Jesus died, there's new life. If we die, there's promise of new life for us as well. It's to the degree that I remind myself, that you remind yourself that Jesus died so that we can live, that we would be enabled to trust the process that we're in. It may look slow. It may feel at times stagnant. But I can trust because the gospel gives me that power when I remember what Jesus went through in order to bring me life, of the process that he's inviting me to be a part of because that was the process for him as well. He is not asking me to do something that he did not do himself. And so that uh, enables me to trust the process that God has placed me in, which involves death and rest. But also, it's to the degree that uh, we believe in the gospel, that we see Jesus moving in that direction towards us, that... We unlock the power of the process 
to experience new life in us and through us. You want to see God work mightily in you and through you. You want to see God work mightily through our church and in our church. In the years to come, we must be a church, a community that's rooted on the gospel and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because times will get hard and relationships sometimes get tough and sometimes there's some disalignment and vision through the years. But because of the gospel, because of the core, because of uh, that which is the foundation for everything, the reason why we gather, the reason why we worship, the reason why we serve, the reason why we lock arms is because Jesus himself did all of that for you and I.